you are in uh, the one church that did that in uh, in the United States today. So feel 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 honored um, in regards to uh, that situation. And I know we had some people. They said that was really loud, and I said I totally understand. <laughs> it's rock and roll. You know the rock and roll life. What they tell you is when it's too loud, that's a sign that you are too old. Sorry, yeah, but it's okay. I think I'm getting that way, to be honest with you. I have a kid now, I'm a, you know, a year and a half old. There's plenty of times where I'm like, it's just loud, turn this down, right? And it's, that's me nowadays, to be honest with you, because I think, uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's just me, so... Anyways, I'm so glad that you guys are here. We are um, continuing along with this uh, series that we started last week. Um, and the whole idea with this entire series is, it's kind of like the idea of uh, a warning, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's a warning that I'm trying to bring about and make sure that you know about. Because as much as, very often when I come on the stage, I stand up here and I talk about all the great that God has for your life. All the amazing plans that God has for your life, the great purpose that he has ahead of you, the calling that he has for you, I would be lying if I didn't also say, you have an enemy. You have an enemy who also has written plans for your life, although these plans, they are much, much darker than you would ever imagine, much darker. He has them all written out. But these plans, they don't lead to your purpose. They lead towards you missing your purpose. They lead you towards failing to to add up to everything you could be. Instead of leading towards the idea of leaving a legacy where your children talk about you in a positive light, these plans lead you to a place of disgrace where your children don't want to talk about you. And if they do, it's usually a bad subject that comes up. That there's an enemy who has plans for your life, not just to destroy... This life, it's even scarier than that. There's an enemy who wants to destroy your eternal life. He wants to attack the very deepest part of you, your soul, in and amongst you. He wants to tear that down and he wants to destroy it. And this is the purpose of this series because as a pastor, I've watched people get attacked by this enemy and not make it. Not make it. They weren't, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And I don't want that to be the case for you. I don't want that to be the case for for us. I want us to be ready. Peter, writing to uh, the early church, right? This is thousands of years ago. He's writing to his early church. He explains this situation. Look at what he says in 1 Peter. Uh, It's actually starting in chapter 5. He says this to the young church. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He says, that's how I would describe him. A roaring lion, kind of this scary big cat that's sneaking through the reeds and he's waiting to attack. He's looking for someone to devour. He says this, stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And we talked about this specifically last week. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch it on Facebook. You can watch it on our website and you can check it out. But this is one of the reasons why we're talking about this. Because he identifies here that although we have this enemy, there's this other key part to it. He says, although your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. We see through this verse, through multiple other verses, that the enemy's attacks are very, very similar. That they happen the same way all across the world. Like he said, the believers all over the world are suffering the same kind of attacks that you are. Now, here's what we come to in regards to this. We have a real enemy 
known as the devil. Not a theoretical representation of all that's evil. Not some sort of mythical character that's been brought down throughout time. Of course, there's weird kind of half-truths of different stuff when we say the devil that might come to your mind. But I mean a real enemy. A real spiritual enemy. That the story goes that there really was an angel named Lucifer. That the idea that he turned his back on God. He started a rebellion of angels that would rather honor themselves and give glory to themselves than God. That God separated them and threw them down. Cast them out of his presence onto the earth. And now they reside apart from God. Waiting for the end of time. Where they will suffer the consequences for their rebellion. Now in the meantime... The devil and all of his demons, they can't stand us for a couple big reasons. One, humanity is a depiction of God. It actually says in the Bible that when God made us, he made us in his image. So when Satan looks at us, when the devil looks at us, when demons look at us, it frustrates him because we represent a picture of that God that he set a rebellion against, that he despises. He hates God. He doesn't want anything to give him honor. And that's the second reason why he despises us. Because a lot of us choose to live our life in a way that we give honor to God through our lives. That we honor him and we say, he's the reason for the blessings in our lives. He's the reason that I'm I'm continuing on in my life. He's the focus of my life. And the devil despises that, that we would give honor to this God that he hates so much. So his goal for us is to get us to lose our trust in God. To lose our faith, to stop giving glory to God and instead give glory to us. And if we do decide to do that, then what we end up doing is stepping into the place where then we follow the devil and his demons into their punishment that was set from them from the very beginning. That's that place called hell that was never meant for humans, was meant for the devil and his demons. And we follow along with him. There really is a real enemy. But Peter... Paul, other writers, identify that there's this this flaw in regards to the devil's attacks. There's this flaw in regards to his strategy. And we talked about this this last week. The devil's attacks have one major flaw, and it's this. They lack creativity. They lack creativity. The devil is very powerful, but he's also very predictable. He's predictable. He does the same basic kind of attacks over and over and over again. And he attacks at the same basic times over and over and over again. And we talked about this last week. Why would the devil continue to use the same attacks over and over? Two big reasons. One, we keep falling for them. That's a pretty good reason to keep just doing the same thing, right? He keeps setting out the same traps and we keep falling for them. Some of them, that's your life story, right? Kept falling for the same thing over and over and over again. The devil attacks the same way because we keep falling for them. And two is this. He has no source of creativity. He has no source of creativity. I believe that God is the the well of creativity of the universe. He's the source of all creativity. So when the devil set rebellion against God and he was removed from him, it ended up breaking that connection of creativity with him. And he doesn't have a good source of creativity anymore. So he's just kind of living off the remnants of what he had experienced years and years previous when he was in connection with God. So he doesn't really have new strategies. He doesn't really have new tactics. What he does is he does the same old things just in slightly different ways. And he attacks in the same basic times over and over and over again. You see, that's what this series is about. When the devil attacks. The when. Because this is what I believe. If we know when the devil attacks, then we can be prepared. 
If we know when the devil attacks, we can be ready for it. We can be prepared, right? And here's what I believe. Last week, this week, next week, these three different times that I'm going to talk to you about, the three different whens, I believe that if we knew about these three times, I think we would be prepared for, I'd say, a good 90% of the attacks that are going to come our way in our life. Maybe there are some ones that aren't quite perfectly spelled out that we don't see, but I'm just going to say, I think this is about 90%. And listen, I mean, this is important, right? If you really have an enemy... And you really could be prepared for about 90% of the attacks. Wouldn't you want to know that information? Right? Yes, Yes. right? If I could know the information, if I could know the when, why would I not want to know that information? I mean, some of you, you're even kind of still skeptical about this whole Christianity thing, right? But you're like, if it's true, I at least want to know the when, right? Even if I'm I'm not necessarily all in on this yet. I still want to know the whens because... I want to be prepared if something was to happen, right? I mean, some of you are like me, right? Anybody else, like, the kind of, like, you're right on the edge of wanting to become a prepper, right? Like, you starting, like, how much water should... That's me, right? Like, I want to be prepared. Like, if I can know when, I want to be ready. Okay, well, last week we talked about the, the first time when the devil attacks. We talked about the idea of the devil attacks when we are just getting started, when we're just getting started. The idea that when we take our very first steps in faith and we take our very first steps towards a positive direction, the enemy immediately attacks. If you weren't here, you should go back and you should listen to that because it is great truth for you as you pursue things in your faith. I'm sure all of us have a next step in this next year. And when you go to do that, the enemy is going to attack in that moment because he doesn't want to let us get down the path. He doesn't want to let us get some wins under our belt. But Today we're going to talk about the second one. Maybe, maybe you get past that first attack, right? You get past that first attack when you just start out in the right direction and, and you make it through. But it's not over. Because this is what we come to number two. The devil attacks when you are weakened by life. Weakened by life. I don't know if you've noticed, but this world, it's pretty tough. It's pretty harsh. Um, we don't get to exist as humans on this planet without experiencing heartache, pain, loss, disappointment. Just in the natural world that we live in, the Bible would say the reason why would be because we live in what's called a fallen world. That we were meant to live in a world that was removed from sin. We in, in, like inserted, added into the mix, sin. And then now the resulting world that's here, it's broken. It's not perfect. It's it's fallen. And all of us go through these seasons. All of us get sick. All of us have harsh disappointments in our life. All of us experience loss at some time or another where it seems unfair and and the world just seems as though it's not right. The balance doesn't seem to be right. And I think all of that happens, listen, before the devil even shows up. That's just the reality of living here in this world, okay? All of us have to be prepared to realize all of us will have some sort of suffering in our life. All of us will experience some sort of disappointment and pain. That is just the idea of this life. To act as though it isn't is to try to live in a fairy tale world and you, your, your whole world, your worldview will be blown apart when you experience it. Of course, that's part of life. But the devil isn't dumb. I mean, he might be on the wrong side. He might not be that creative, but he's not dumb. He recognizes this. And he understands that this world 
has a way of, of weakening us at times. It has a, a way of knocking us kind of down. It has a way of, of kind of cutting us off at the knees every so often. And the devil is wise enough, considering he only has so many demons, he only has so much time, right? He's, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, like I was talking about last week, like God qualities. Everything the devil has to do has to be information he receives, decisions he makes, demons he sends out, putting the right people in the right places, kind of like very physical, like we have here, just in a spiritual sense. He doesn't want to wrestle you from a high high all the way down to a low low. He doesn't want to start attacking you and try to drag you down off of the mountaintop. The devil's smart. What he wants to do is he wants to sit back. And he wants to follow at kind of a a hidden distance. And what he does is he waits. And he waits. And sooner or later, life, just life that we experience, it knocks us down off that mountaintop. It kind of drags us down and it weakens us. We become sick. We end up becoming extremely disappointed with how something turns out. We suffer heartache and we suffer this loss. And all of a sudden, life weakens us and drags us down to one of the valleys of life. And then, then is when the devil pounces. He doesn't want to fight you from high highs to low lows. He wants to wait until life weakens us. And that is when the devil attacks I see this over and over again in scripture. These stories that were given to us, inspired by God, it reveals this tactic of the enemy, the when that he consistently approaches, all the way back to some of the oldest stories. In fact, all the way back before we even talk about like, you know, the, the people of Israel and the whole like Moses and, and leaving the, leaving the promise, you know, leaving the Egypt and going out promised land, the law, way, way, way before all of that, there is a story called Job. And they believe it takes place, I mean, really kind of right at the beginning of history. And there's this man who is very, very faithful, very much so in love with God. And this crazy story happens where the devil and and God kind of have this this showdown, where they kind of bump into each other and they kind of have this showdown around Job. And listen what it does, because it reveals so much about the devil's tactics. Check this out. It says this. In Job 1, 8 through 11. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. Look how rich he is. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But... Reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The devil reveals his tactic here, doesn't he? He says to God, oh yeah, I know that Job is really, really faithful. I know that Job really loves you. But he says, well, that's because everything is so perfect in his life. Oh no, no, I'm not, God, I'm not interested in having a fight with you to try to wrestle this guy from where he is to turning his back on you. That's not what I'm interested in. He basically says that, right? Like, I'm not saying I could show up today and get Job to curse you. I don't think that's probably possible. You're right, God. But, but, take away everything he has. Let life weaken him and knock him down. Oh, and then if I attack, he'll turn his back on you, no problem. 
And God really, he knows, he says, no, Job is a faithful, faithful follower, in fact. This situation happens in Job's life. Uh, it's brutal. The story is absolutely terrible. It is a story that some of you have faced in your own life, and it is horrifying. The idea of losing children, the idea of losing his entire business and his, his wealth, the idea of losing all of what he has. Not only that, but especially in this story, because this is back in the Jewish culture, where they really believe that this time, if you're blessed, it's because you're a good person and God is blessing you. If you're cursed, it's because you're a bad person and God is cursing you. He not only lost all that, Job lost his reputation in the community. Went from being this guy that everyone talked about, right? Oh man, he's faithful to this. To the guy, everyone, everyone pointing to Job and going, Wow. There must be something wrong with that guy if God's cursing him like that. He must not be a good, faithful man. And he, he lets the situation knock him down to this valley, and the devil pounces on him in this moment. In fact, he even brings sickness into his life. But Job will not give up on his faith. But listen, I know this strategy is real, and I know this strategy works, because you know what? Sadly, it worked on Job's wife. It worked on Job's wife. She went through the same pain that Job went through. I'm sure she was with Job when they built this business. Of course, she gave Job all these beautiful children. Of course, I'm sure she was part of this, this persona in the culture of them being believing people about being blessed by God. And when all these situations come into her life, the Bible gives us a different picture of how she reacts in Job 2.9. This is what his wife says. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Joe's wife, we don't know her name, she goes through the same weakening. And when the devil attacks them, their household, Job is able to withstand. But at the exact same time, another woman who I'm sure was very, very faithful as well, it's too much. And the enemy attacks and he tears down that faith and she shows up in the story and she says exactly what you'd expect, exactly what Satan thought Job would say. Just curse God and die. That's my plan. Curse God. He's obviously not good. Curse God. He's obviously turned his back on us and he's not worth following. Curse God and give up and die like me. We also see the same story, the same idea of when the devil attacks in Jesus' life. Jesus is growing up. He ends up getting to the point where he's going to kind of start his ministry. He ends up becoming baptized. and He decides to go on this fast for a period of time before he goes out. And he starts healing people, starts teaching. This is how the story goes. It's in Luke 4, 1 through 2. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all, excuse me, ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Now, this is interesting because when we see the devil extremely present in the story of Jesus like this, he doesn't show up before this when he's a young kid in the story. We don't see that. Um, we don't really see a lot of times where the devil is physically present in the story when he's out preaching and when he's out teaching. But in this moment, in this, in this time where Jesus is alone and where he's weakened physically by doing a 40-day fast. I've known some people who've done extended fasts up to a month. And it absolutely, it is depleting in regards to your, to your reserves. It is very, very beneficial spiritually. I've seen great things with that. But it's very depleting in your physical body. He waits until Jesus is tore down physically and shows up and begins to tempt Jesus. In fact, one of the very first temptations he brings, he says, aren't you hungry? Well, go ahead. I mean, you're, you're the son of God. Turn those stones into bread and eat. 
right? Don't trust God for your sustenance. Just take care of it yourself. And the devil waits until life, right, physical life, has weakened Jesus. We know this is the case. It's so interesting. The story ends where finally the devil leaves. But listen, when he leaves, they, they add this little note to it that's so important. Look, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity, until that next opportunity came. The devil leaves, but he doesn't leave for good. What it says is, well, basically, it didn't work this time. He waited till Jesus was depleted, and he showed up, and he tried to attack him. Jesus stood up to it. So the devil leaves, but he didn't leave for good. He just left until the next opportunity comes. He's waiting for the next time life is going to bring Jesus down. He waited until the next time when life would weaken him so that he could show up. He's not interested in wrestling Jesus when he goes back into the city after this because he's going to start seeing miracles. He's going to start seeing this and he realizes, I'm not going to try to wrestle him from all the way up here down here. I'm going to just sit back and wait for that next opportunity to come. Oh, it's going to come and I'll be ready for it. We know Jesus learned this lesson because he actually passed it on to his disciples. We see a situation in which Jesus, right before he's betrayed, he takes his, his disciples, sits down, they eat a meal together. And he says, we're going to go out to this garden and we're going to pray together. And he asks them, he says, some of them, he says, could you stay here and could you pray? A few more, he kind of walks a little farther. He shares his heart. He says, would you stay here and we pray? And, and he goes a little further off by himself and he's just overcome by grief and he's praying. And he finally comes back to check on his disciples. And listen how the story goes. It says this. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep. But look it. The Bible doesn't just show that they're asleep. They give the reason why. Why were they asleep? They were exhausted from grief. These disciples have been following Jesus for a few years. And here, I mean, just a few hours earlier, right, Jesus is telling them, Hey, in like a really short time, someone's going to betray me. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to be murdered. Of course, these disciples, what are they thinking? I mean, one, they're probably thinking, is this going to happen to us too, right? We've been following this guy, Jesus, for a number of years. When they come to arrest Jesus, are they just going to take us too? When they go to torture Jesus, are they just going to torture us too? Not only that, but of course, they've fallen in love with this man, Jesus. They've watched him do miracles, and they believe he really is this important Messiah. And he says, I'm going to be dead in just a few days. And they're heartbroken. They say, this is going to be over, Jesus. You're, you're going to be dying. They can't quite grasp it yet. They're exhausted from grief. That's why they're falling asleep, because they're so weakened in their physical nature by the amount of grief they're experiencing. Some of you have experienced that before, haven't you? Where you've been so grieved that all you want to do is just lay down and go to sleep. You're so saddened or you're so just overwhelmed that you think, I just want to lay down. I don't want to be awake right now, right? But listen, this situation comes where they're exhausted by grief and they're going to fall asleep. And listen what Jesus says. He says this, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so you will not give in to temptation. What's the temptation? Well, in... By what it seems, a few minutes after this exchange, they were coming to arrest Jesus. And of course, in this very, very trying moment, the devil was getting ready to pounce on these disciples and tell them, you don't want to follow this Jesus guy anymore. 
You want to turn your back on them, and you want to run. In fact, it says, basically, disciples kind of scattered when the situation happened. We get even more proof that Peter, in just a little bit, they're asking, they're saying, you know that Jesus guy? He says, I don't have anything to do with that Jesus guy. No, 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 that's, that wasn't me. You're wrong. That, it looked like me, but it wasn't me. That's, that's not me. Jesus says, in just a little bit, the devil's going to try to come, and he's going to try to tear down your faith in me. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. That's why I'm saying it's going to happen, guys. Because this is going to be one of those valley moments and the devil is going to pounce on you and he is going to try to destroy your faith. The devil attacks when we're weakened by life. When we're weakened by life. He doesn't want to wrestle us down from the high highs. He wants to wait. The devil isn't interested in a fair fight. He's a punk. He wants to wait until we get knocked down and then he wants to pile on when we're already beat up. That's how he works. Listen, I have seen this countless times as a pastor. Countless times. Very rarely do I deal with a couple who, who is experiencing the, the devil's attack in their marriage. When they're, you know, on like honeymoon phase, right? Like those first few months. And like, this is amazing, right? Oh my goodness, there's so much love and there's so much excitement. But you give it a little while. And maybe you have a few kids. Maybe there's some sickness in the relationship. Maybe there's some stress. You maybe just have a kid, and there's kind of that season after that where mom's really, really distracted with the, the baby. And because, of course, all that, you guys haven't made love in months, and you feel very distracted and, and ripped apart. And maybe because of the stress of the kid, mom or dad is really, really stressed about the money because how are we taking care of these kids? And there seems to be all this tension. And all of a sudden, it feels as though, is this marriage really working, Right? It just feels as though we're not, we're not linked up, we're not synced up, and, and life has just weakened that marriage to this place, and right then the enemy pounces. Right then the enemy jumps in, and all of a sudden, there hears whispers. Maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe he's not really the right man. All of a sudden, that guy walks into work, and that cute girl gives him a little too much attention. And he thinks, maybe that's what would make me happy. You see, the devil attacks when, when life already weakens us. Not very often do I see people who maybe, they're, they're coming back from addiction. They're coming back from fighting off something that was absolutely just raining them in in their life. Not very often do I see on high highs, on, on these momentous occasions where all of a sudden like, it's like, yeah, absolutely, where they're running and they're running in the right direction. It, you know, very often that's not the case. It seems as though they're just, they're just kicking butt and taking names. But then all of a sudden, life gets stressful. Maybe all of a sudden they, they end up having something change at work. Work gets really, really stressful and really hard. Maybe the relationship isn't going so well. Maybe there's some, some grief in life. And right then when we're weakened, the devil will pounce. The enemy will attack and he'll say, wouldn't it be good just to feel good for one night? Wouldn't it be nice just to feel good like you used to? Just for one night to forget about all of this stress, to forget about all this strain and just relax. The devil attacks in that moment of weakness. Very rarely 
Do I see the devil pounce on people's faith when they're experiencing moments of provision where it seems as though it's like God provided for this and God came through with this and they, they just saw God move yesterday and they can see the, the vision ahead for where they're going. And very often it's like, man, their faith is awesome. It's on fire. But I watch as the devil just kind of lies in, in wait. He waits for the situation to come where maybe they, they lose a loved one. Somebody is tore away from them a little too soon. Or maybe there's a situation where they really believed in something and it didn't come true for their life. And they feel kind of broken by how it didn't pan out the way that they thought it was supposed to pan out. And all of a sudden, when there's that that weakening, the devil will jump in at that moment and he'll attack. And he'll attack that God and say, see, this God doesn't work. This faith isn't real. And he'll attack the very God we need to get us through that valley. He'll attack us right then and there and say, you know, turn your back on this. This isn't the answer. The devil is smart. I mean, like I said, I mean, obviously he's on the wrong side. He's going to lose. That's the good part. But he's not dumb. He's waiting for life to weaken us to the point that he can attack and he can tear us apart. He's like that prowling lion kind of just coming through the grass hidden, waiting for that opportunity. So, if this is the case, what could we do? What could we do? I love this reference that Paul makes. He ends up talking to his church um, where he writes to him and he's kind of explaining the spiritual war that we're in, where this, there's a situation of a real enemy that's coming to attack us and how could we possibly be ready? And he talks about this really interesting subject in Ephesians 6. And this is what we're looking to kind of each week as we go through this of finding the issue of, of like how we can find an application, what we can do if we're in the middle of the spiritual battle. He says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So he says, there are strategies, right? There are definitely strategies that are coming your way. And he says, this is what we need to do. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. So you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. He says there's a real enemy. There's a real time that's going to come. There's a real when that the enemy is going to attack. This time of evil is coming your way. And the answer is something called God's armor. He says you're walking into a battle. You need to have your armor on. Now, I talked about the idea there are multiple pieces of this armor. You should pray for all of them. You should pursue all of them. But as I was praying, I really, really felt like God said, there are certain pieces of this armor that are more prevalent, that are more important for each of these different attacks. If you have these certain pieces of armor, you are far more ready for these type of attacks. Last week, you talk about when you're just getting started. This week, we talk about the idea of when you are weakened by life. And he explains these pieces of armor that I think are so important in Ephesians 6.17. He says this. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Excuse me, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He says what you need for this situation is you need a helmet. But you need a helmet that's made of salvation. And you need a sword, but you don't need some sort of physical sword. You need a spiritual sword. And he says, I'll just tell you exactly what it is. It's the word of God. 
It's the word of God. It's the Bible. It's the truth of who God is. This is what you need in this situation. So how do we take care of these two things? Okay, so first of all, this helmet of salvation, okay? When there's, there's a battle going on, I don't know if you guys have ever done any research as far as like military stuff or anything like that, but a lot of people who die during battles, during wars, die from injuries to their head. It's one of the most common ways that people die, in fact, because, of course, to be able to see something, we have to stick our head out, right, to be able to see. And very often, people get caught in the head. That's why a helmet is absolutely critical if we are in a fight. He says, you need a helmet, but you don't just need a helmet of, like, Kevlar, right? You need a helmet of salvation. I think this. I think the devil wants you to keep your head down. He wants life to knock you down. He wants to see you in this valley. And what he wants you to do is just to keep your head down, buried in that valley, not thinking anything can get better. And listen, if you don't have a helmet, that's your best bet. That's your best bet because you think, if I stick my head up, I'm going to catch one, right? He says, what you need is you need a helmet because if you have a helmet, that means you can lift your head up and you can look to see what's coming next. You can believe there's something better on the horizon. You can believe for that next mountaintop that's coming. We need a helmet of salvation. Now, what's salvation? Salvation is the freedom that comes from the rescue that Christ brought into our life. I love the way that Paul ends up putting it. He explains it really, really great in Colossians. This is how he explains the rescue, the salvation that we experience. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So he says, you were dead. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So he said, here's the deal, okay? Just like in this world, if you were to break a whole bunch of laws, they would literally sit down and they would read a list of all the charges that are against you, right? You broke this law, this law, this law. And he says, it's the same situation in regards to our spiritual realm. That's what we would call sin. Anytime that we failed to do something that was good, anytime that we did something that was bad, and we, of course, all know that we've done things that we shouldn't have done. We haven't done things that we should have done. And he says, there's this giant record of all the charges that are stacked up against you. But Jesus took it away. He paid for all those charges by nailing it to the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross, was to cancel all of those charges that were against us and pay for all of them. He continues and he says this, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's our enemies. That's the devil. That's those who are coming to attack us. He shamed them by, he shamed them publicly, excuse me, by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, he says this. The reason why the helmet of salvation works is because the salvation, this freedom bought by Jesus for your life, it disarms those who are coming against you. Just like that helmet, basically what he's saying is they don't have anything strong enough to penetrate this, right? They used to have something, they'd fire at you, and it'd blow the head right off your shoulders, right? He says, not anymore. God gave you this helmet, and they no longer have anything. They've been disarmed to have anything powerful enough to be able to get to you. That that's what that salvation bought. And I love this. He says, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Not just the idea that he just won. He shamed them. It's like... I love, I love that they use NLT just aside from me. NLT. I love that he says he shamed them publicly. This is like not just the fact that he won. This is like he pulled down the devil's pants in Walmart and gave him a spanking. Right? Shame. People are like, oh, that's embarrassing. Right? That's what we're talking about this. Victory 
over on the cross. And I love this. He says, this is what you need is a helmet of salvation. It disarms the enemy's attacks. Let me show it to you this way, okay? This is the explanation I need you to get, the picture of our, of our life, okay? And I'm going to do a little bit of drawing, and it's going to be terrible, so just <laughs> bear with me. I'm not, a, I'm not a drawer at all as far as that drawer. I don't think that's even a word. Artist, I think, would be the word. That's how little I know. But, but here's, here's how it goes, okay? What I want to show you, okay? In life in general, our life looks something like this, right? It's this up and down, up and down, up and down. We have kind of like, we're going, and then we have a high moment, and then we kind of have this low moment that comes down. We have another high moment in our faith, or in our relationship, or in whatever it is, and then we kind of have another low moment, and we just go back and forth. And what I was saying from the beginning here is that the enemy really isn't interested in attacking you when you're here, when you're at the top of one of those mountains. He's not interested in that. He doesn't want to have to do all this work. So what he's waiting is he knows this is the pattern of life. This is without his interaction. This is what our life looks like. So he's not even bothering at that moment. He waits, and he's watching for these ups and downs. And what he's waiting for you is to get somewhere right down here in one of these valleys. Once you get down in the valley, this is where he wants to jump on you. And listen, this is the idea. This is what life looks like. It's not that he just wants to, to keep you in this valley. That's what some people would think. Oh, what the devil wants to do is he just wants to keep you in that low spot. He wants to keep you in that valley. No, that's not what the devil wants to do. He waits for life to get you down to that valley, and this is when the devil attacks. And what he wants to do is instead of your life following that ark, what he wants to do is pile on you, and he wants to take your life like this. He wants to take you far lower than this. He waits, instead of on the mountaintops, he waits till life brings us down to the valley. And then his goal is to jump on top of you and to drive you through the bottom of that valley. Far deeper, far lower than you were supposed to go. And he wants to drive you all the way through the bottom of that because what he knows is there's another line somewhere about here, and that's called hell. That's called hell. And we can experience hell here on earth. It's that place in which our faith breaks. And we realize God must not be good. God must not be worthy. And we break our relationship. We break our bond with God. We turn from him. And that's that place of hell that he wants to drive us down to where our faith breaks. It shatters. We turn our back. We step up like Joe's wife and just say, curse God and die. That's my plan. Curse God die. That's my life plan from now on. He knows that's the case, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to drive us down below that valley. But this is why the helmet of salvation is so important. The helmet of salvation is what protects us from this happening in our life. Paul, amazing, amazing preacher of God's word. I mean, did amazing stuff. Planted multiple churches all over. Really, really high highs, right? He writes the church in Philippi, and when he wrote the church in Philippi, he was in one of his lows. Turns out that at this season of his life, I mean, he's literally, he's writing from prison. No longer traveling, speaking. He's chained up. Not only that, but it, it turns out that news has come to Paul that there are a bunch of other people who are preaching the, the, the gospel, but they say, you know, what's interesting, Paul, is they're not preaching the gospel because of good reasons, they're preaching it because they're trying to get more famous than you and kind of have you lose your legacy. They just dislike you and they want to make sure that people forget about you. And Paul is in this spot where, I mean, this is like, this is like life tearing him down to the place where he could easily question and think, I mean, am I just going to die here in, in chains? 
Is no one going to remember what I did because there's these people who are attacking what I built and trying to change it? Of course, he could be in this very, very dark place at this moment. But listen what Paul says as he writes the church in Philippi. I love this. He says this, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying, dying is even better. Paul had a helmet of salvation. Here's what he understood, okay? We go back to this picture that I was showing you, okay? We have life up, down, up, down, up, down. We have the devil who's waiting for us to get to one of these valleys, right? And he wants to grab us and he wants to take us down to this place where he takes us down below hell. But this is what Paul is saying in this moment. This is what the helmet of salvation does. He says, listen, if I live, the point of my life is Christ. And if I die, I go to heaven and I win. Here's what the helmet of salvation does. The helmet of salvation draws a line at our lowest lows in life. And when the enemy tries to come and he tries to drive us through the bottom of that valley and drag us down to hell, the helmet of salvation is like a bottom line. And that's what Paul is stating. A bottom line for his life of saying, listen, if I have nothing and I have Christ, I have enough. Worst case scenario, the devil wins on this side of eternity and I die. Guess what? I win. The helmet of salvation prepares us by letting us know, listen, in the ups and downs in life, the lowest I go is victory in Jesus. That's the lowest I go. That we could stay boldly to to the devil, to anyone around us. Say, listen, I know there are ups and downs and I know the enemy attacks, but that's the lowest I go. The lowest I go is Jesus. The lowest I go is death and on to eternity, which is glory. I don't go lower than that. That's it. That's my bottom. That's it. So when we have this helmet of salvation, it gives us such peace. It gives us such removal from any of the fear that we're going to catch this bullet. Because we go, I, I, when the devil attacks, I have this, this bottom line, this plumb line that I realize that's, that's as far as I can go anyway. We need a helmet of salvation, but we also need this. We need a sword. And I love that, that Paul, when he wrote this, he says the sword of spirit. But I love that he doesn't just say that because if he just said the sword of the spirit, there would be so much speculation as to what the sword of the spirit could be. And he doesn't want any confusion at all. He says the sword of the spirit, let me just tell you what it is. It's God's word. He says, let me just tell you what it is straight out. It's God's word. That's what you need. Listen, when life weakens us and we get down to one of these valleys and the enemy is getting ready to attack, okay? When life weakens us, you're going to have this tendency. I have the same tendency as well. Life kind of beats you up. Life kind of knocks you down. And what you want to do with everything inside of you is you just kind of want to hole up. You just kind of want to pull the covers over your head. 
You just kind of want to lick your wounds and just think, can I just, you know, can I just have a day to just kind of be by myself? And I just need to kind of have this day to kind of pity myself and, and what it is. And what Paul says, I love it. He says, listen, when life knocks you down, when life weakens you, you don't need to take and try to hole up and try to cover yourself up. He says, that is the time that you need to stand up and you need to pick up a sword. He says, at that point, listen, we don't need to talk about a good defense. Guess what the best defense is? A good offense. He says, when life weakens you, when you're in this situation where the enemy attacks, what you need is not just defensive equipment. You need an offensive equipment. You need to mount an offense against the enemy, grab your sword, and run towards him and towards the battle. I love this. In the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan. Satan comes and he tries to tempt him and he tries to tempt him and he tries to tempt him. He's trying to tear him down, trying to get him to not have trust in God anymore. And I love Jesus' response to the devil. See if you see a pattern in these responses. Please tell me if you do, okay? Here's Jesus' responses. Every time the devil says something to him, Jesus comes back to him. Here's his responses. I love it. Luke 4, 4. No, the scriptures say. Luke 4, 8. The scriptures say. Luke 4, 12. The scriptures also say. Do you see a pattern here? Every time the enemy attacked, what Jesus came back with was a sword of the Spirit, a sword of the Word of God. That the Word of God cuts the devil off the knees. If you read this story, I love it. When the devil brings this temptation and Jesus gives him this response, he doesn't try to argue another way. He actually literally gives up on that argument and tries to go to a different argument. And then he brings the word of God, it cuts him off at the knees, and he goes, well, there's no point in arguing that. And then he comes to the next argument. And then he cuts that off at the knees with scripture. And listen, you know what it says after this? Jesus leaves, excuse me, the devil leaves Jesus. He leaves. He has a few different opportunities he was going to throw. The scripture keeps cutting him off at the knees. And then the devil just leaves Jesus and just says, there's no point. All of my attacks were cut down. All of them were shredded by the truth that was in the word of God. Friends, when life has weakened us, we don't need to hole up and we don't need to hide. We need to stand up and we need to take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's our best chance of survival. We find truth. We find strength. I love this. Psalm 73, 26. If this doesn't get you fired up in a time of weakness, I love this. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart and he is mine forever. There's somebody who's broken down. They say, you're right. My body is failing me. Some of us will experience this in this life. Unfortunately, our bodies will begin to fail. And we will watch as things are not getting better, but they are getting worse. And as everybody watches and wonders, how are you doing? You have strength despite your failing body because you say, I have Jesus. And Jesus is my strength. When situations in our life feel bleak and they feel like they're not going in the right direction and people would say, your spirit may grow weak where you say, I don't really have a lot in the tank. I am tired right now. But you say, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm weak. That means that I'm strong because God remains my strength. He brings me strength. I don't go lower than victory in Jesus. That's it. That's as far down as I would go. Friends, when the devil attacks, right, after this, this weakening by life, You need to push into God's word like never before. Like never before. And listen, this is why I'm saying this, okay? Can I I have your attention? If you're lost, if I lost you for a second, can I please, can you look at me just for one second, okay? For real, please, please, please. If right now life weakens you, 
My fear is the majority of you do not have enough diet of God's word that you won't survive. Some of you do not read your Bible. You don't listen to your Bible. You don't hear God's word except coming here once a week to hear me talk about it. And in fact, some of you, you don't even hear me talk about it every week because of you being so busy. You only get here every two or three weeks. And you're going two or three weeks between times in which you are experiencing the word of God. Listen to me. If life weakens you and the enemy attacks and that is all you have in regards to your connection to the truth, you aren't going to make it. You aren't going to make it. That's why as a pastor, this message is really, really not fun for me to speak, to be honest with you. Because when I look at a crowd, what I honestly see is I wonder in my mind and think, am I going to see you guys in another year? Am I going to see you in another two years? Or like so many other people who I know, that break my heart daily. They disappear, and I never see them again. And maybe years down the road, I bump into them, and I, I realize as I talk to them, the devil got you. The devil got you. He attacked, you weren't ready, and the devil took you out. Friends, you need a strong diet of God's word. Especially, I mean, when life starts to weaken us, the moment we feel that, the moment we feel tore down, instead of thinking, oh, I just need a drink, oh, I just need a day off, oh, I just need, you go, no, oh, I just need God's word. Yeah. I desperately need to read God's word. I need to listen to God's word. I need to listen to some more messages. I should go back through the archives, listen to some more messages that Cameron preached in the past, listen to some other pastors that I know about. I need to hear God's word because I need more of it in me right now. I need a sword to fight against this enemy that's attacking Friends, it is the answer in this situation. It is what you need is this offensive. I love, I love, I love, I love, because listen, you will be tempted, the enemy will bring something into your life, and if you don't know the truth, you will be tempted to point to something that the devil brought into your life and think that it's God. One of the best words of wisdom I've heard in this last year a person texted me from our church, said, I just had a friend, right? And this friend, they have kind of a hard marriage. This relationship's not so good. That person isn't really that faithful. And there's this whole situation of them between their relationship and trying to work out their marriage. And this woman in the marriage, she's a Christian and she's a faithful Christian. She's been praying. But all of a sudden she messaged me and she said, you know, all of a sudden I met this other guy and he's this amazing Christian and he really loves God. And I'm wondering, could this be God? And I love the person from our church texted her and said, God doesn't send boyfriends to married women. You know what that is? That's truth. She didn't have to pray about that. There was not even like, let me pray and ask God. It's like, no, I know truth by reading God's word to know that's not what God does. That's the devil attacking you right now. That's the devil. That's him trying to get you to destroy what's going on right now and refuse to fight instead. That's him trying to knock you through the bottom of that valley down to the place where you don't trust him anymore. We need God's word in these situations. Listen, the devil is going to attack. He's following close behind you. He's waiting for life to weaken you. But if you know the devil attacks when you are weakened by life, then you can prepare a strong counterattack. If you know this, 
When you begin to be weakened by life, you can immediately say, I need to remind myself of my helmet of salvation. I need to remind myself this is as far as I go. That you need to pick up the sword instantly and say, a battle's coming. I need the word of God present in my life. I need to mount this strong counterattack instantly. So what should you do today? You might be in a few different spots. One, maybe today you need to put on your helmet. Maybe the reason why you're here, and I I wholeheartedly believe there's probably at least one or two of you who the reason why you're here, God brought you here today because you have never accepted that helmet of salvation that Jesus has extended to you. Listen, God absolutely loves you. The reason why Jesus came long before, you know, like this situation, years and years ago, he came knowing of you before then, and he died before you even came about to make sure that he could restore this relationship with God. And right now, right now, I know for some of you, God is looking at you, and Jesus is looking at you, and he says, I know the devil is getting ready to attack your life. And listen, you won't make it without this helmet. And Jesus is trying to extend to you this helmet of salvation that he bought for you. That he bought this helmet for you, for you, your size. And he's trying to hand it to you. He's saying, if you don't take it, you won't make it. Today might be the day for some of you to put on that helmet for the very first time. For some of the rest of you, you're just going to remember this. You're not going to just hear this and remember it for two days. You're not just going to remember it for the week. You're going to put this into long-term memory because you know this is coming. Sometime, a week, a month, a year... Two years, life is going to weaken me. And when that moment comes, I want to be ready for the devil's attack. You're going to remember this. For more of you, maybe the last step would be this. You can find peace right now. The last thing I want is people leaving here scared. That's not the point. The scariest enemy is the one we don't know. When we know more about our enemy, they become less scary because we understand the when. We understand how. And my goal for you would not to be be more afraid of the devil through this series. It would be less because you know when the attacks are coming. And for some of you, right now, you're in the valley. When I started talking about high highs and low lows, and I started talking about how life can weaken you, your thought over and over again was, that's me. And maybe you've either already experienced the devil's attack, or maybe right now you do sit in a spot where you're kind of afraid this morning because you go, what's coming? What's coming? Because right now I feel like I'm in that valley. Here's what I'd love to do, just to give you an opportunity to respond. Would you close your eyes with me? Bow your head just for a second, just to give everyone space. And I'd just like to do this because it's about you and God. It's not about the person next to you. So it's just so you just kind of have your silo with God right now, okay? If you're that person where you say, I'm in a valley right now. I'm in that season that you talked about, Cameron, where life has weakened me. And I'm, if I'm honest, I'm kind of afraid. I want to be ready because I'm worried about this attack the enemy's bringing. Or maybe you've already felt the devil attack. And you say, I want to be, I want to survive this. I don't want this to be the end. I want to fight through it and I need God's help. And if you're willing to say that, would you do me a favor? I'm just going to count to three and you raise your hand so you can respond so I can pray for you. One, two, three. Raise up your hands if it's you. Yeah, keep them up for a second. God, you see these people. You see people who right now, they're identifying and saying, I'm in a valley, God. I'm in a valley. 
I feel as though life has weakened me and I'm at this spot where I, I don't have all the strength I wish I had. I feel like I'm kind of at the bottom of this valley. But I do not want the enemy to be able to jump on me and to take me lower than I have to. I don't want him to, to drag me down to the place where I would give up on my faith. I need you, Jesus. I need you right now in this moment. I need you to remind me of my helmet of salvation, to guard my thoughts, to guard my mind. I need you to help me. Drive me towards your truth. Put the sword of the Spirit in my hand, the Word of God, and let me hold tightly to it so that I can mount an offensive when the devil comes in and tries to knock me down. Please, God, bring strength. Please, God, bring passion. Please, God, bring peace to those who are in this situation right now. And you can put your hands down. Eyes closed head bowed just for one more second. If you're that person that today was your day, the reason why you're here is because you want to accept that helmet of salvation for the very first time. You don't have everything figured out about your faith, but you're willing to take a step of faith. There's enough in you that you think, I think there really might be an enemy. He might really be attacking. And if there is a great God who is willing to buy me this protective helmet, to restore my relationship with God, I'm willing to take a chance and take a step of faith to put my trust in him instead of myself. And if that's you, I want to give you the same opportunity. I'm going to count to three. You shoot your hand up so I can pray for you. You know if it's you. Right now you can feel it. One, two, three. Shoot up your hands if it's you. I see you. Go ahead. Keep them up for a second. I see you, ma'am. Yeah, keep them up. I see you back there. Absolutely. Let me pray for these. You guys who have your hands up, you can put them down for a second. I want to lead you in just a simple prayer. And this prayer is more about just guiding our heart. For all of you who've prayed this prayer before with them, would you pray with them to give them a chorus? Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the king of my life. I trust you with my eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause for those who took that step this morning?